Welcome to the WRI Podcast. I'm Lawrence McDonald. With me in the studio today is Sean DeWitt. He's the director of the Global Restoration Initiative at WRI. Hi, Lawrence. Welcome to the show, Sean. Thank you, Lawrence. And Miguel Calmond, he is the Director of Forests at WRI Brazil. Miguel, welcome to Washington, D.C. Thank you very much, Lawrence. My pleasure to be here. Our topic today is restoration, and in particular, restoration in Brazil, where Miguel is leading some quite exciting work about restoration with native species. Um, I had the great privilege to be there recently and uh, learned a huge amount from Miguel. Uh, and that inspired me to say, when you're in Washington, let's get you on the show. Before we get into that, what is restoration? Thanks, Lawrence. That's a great place to start. Well, restoration is about reintroducing trees and shrubs into the landscape. And this is about benefiting the ecology. But just as important, it's also about benefiting the economy and reconnecting cultural values as well. Um, and so the essence of it, and what gets me excited about it when I wake up in the morning and think about my job, is that restoration at the, at the end of the day, it's about this fundamental question, which to me says, you know, can we be the first generation in modern human history to leave the planet better than we found it while growing economically? And so it's about partnering with Mother Nature, um, who is one of the most great innovators of all time. You think about the things that a tree can do. Um, you know, and this, this starts to illustrate why people are restoring. Um, trees can be great for food security, um, as the leaves and the leaf litter can really improve the soil fertility of an area. Trees are great for water quality, um, as, as they can regulate the flows of water um, and make sure more water infiltrates into the ground. Um, trees are great for energy. Um, you know, in, in Africa, 70% of people use um, biomass for energy. Um, trees are great for climate change, um, taking carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and turning it into carbon, which provides life here on Earth. Um, you know, so, so trees, trees are great for many, many things, and, and restoration is about really trying to harness what they do really well um, to provide great outcomes for both ecology and economy. You are a great evangelist for restoring trees and shrubs to the landscape. I want to go the next level down. Mm -hmm. What are we, WRI, doing specifically in Latin America? And from that, then, I want to come to Miguel and the work in Brazil. There is something called Initiative 2020. What is that and how does it work? Yeah, so Initiative 20 by 20 is, is, is very exciting. And this is a, a country-led initiative where, where countries are coming together saying, we want to restore land. This is, this is important for climate change, but it's also important for our sustainable economic growth. Um, but they also realize that for the government, um, they can get the right enabling conditions in place. They can take action on public lands, but they need the private sector also to be heavily engaged if we're going to restore at very large scale. And so what the Initiative 20 by 20 does, it provides a platform for um, the public sector and the countries that have been committing to do restoration. And so far, there's, there's 16 countries across Latin America that have committed um, more than 50 million hectares to be restored. This is an area roughly the size of Spain um, to be it restored. It was supposed to be 20 million hectares to begin with, right? So you're already the commitments are running way ahead of the target. The commitments are running ahead of the target. It was supposed to be 20 million hectares by, by 2020 committed, and there's already 50 million hectares <laughs> uh, here in 2017, which is really exciting. Um, but in order to implement that, of course, it's going to require heavy engagement from the private sector. And so part of what 20 by 20 does is it's pulled together a group of now 19 impact investors who have earmarked more than $1.5 billion that they want to invest in Latin America for restoration, not only because they believe that this will lead to great social outcomes, this will lead to great environmental outcomes, 
but also that there's a financial bottom line, that a financial return can be generated um, from the restoration that is happening. So $1.5 billion to support this kind of commitment coming from the countries. And what 20 by 20 is trying to do is to provide a platform for them to connect more effectively from the private sector and the public sector and communities um, and others that are trying to move this, this agenda forward. So it's an incredibly exciting time. This, this sounds great in the abstract, but Miguel, you've got the difficult job of trying to make it real. And so the work you're doing in Brazil, as I understand it, among other things, is to document how people actually are making money out of this, to show models for not only doing all the great things Sean describes, but actually turning a profit on it so that these impact investors and others will be willing to invest. Have I understood that correctly? Yes, this is part of the work we do in Brazil. As Sean pointed out, I mean, uh, restoration has all those benefits, the social, economic, and the environmental benefits. The question is, is how we can really demonstrate to the farmers, like in Brazil, for example, we have this uh, target to restore 12 million hectares by 2030, which is part of the NDC target. The nationally so, determined contribution to addressing climate change exactly. in DC. In addition to that, Brazil made a commitment to the Bond Challenge, made a commitment to the Initiative 2020. We have a forest code, a law that farmers they need to comply with the law. So if you only consider 12 million hectares of restoration, and if you consider that in Brazil we have around 5 million landowners or farmers in Brazil, how we can make restoration attractive to those landowners? Of course, we don't need to convince every landowner only to restore their lands if they can make money out of that. Because as Sean pointed out very well, restoration is very important to gener generate a lot of public goods, like produce clean water. This is a public good to address climate change. This is a service for the society. But at the end of the day, if you really expect a farmer to really invest his or her time putting trees on the ground, we should be able to come up with a nice way for them to make money out of that. And this is what, or how we started a project in Brazil called the Verena Project, which is basically about how to demonstrate the economic viability of reforestation with native species. As I understand it, Miguel, there's already a lot of people making money raising trees in Brazil. The problem is that they're raising non-native species, mostly eucalyptus and pine. But why is that a problem? If they're putting trees on the landscape, uh, why they focus on native species? Well, again, this is not a problem. I think the, the example you just gave that a lot of uh, companies and people making money out of planting pine and eucalyptus, this is a result of a, uh, a policy or uh, a package of incentives that was uh, done in the past by the government 40 years ago to really supply timber. And they found that maybe planting exotic species that they grow faster would be a, a better deal. And then at the same time, the pulp and paper uh, industry came around that and saw this as a huge opportunity. And now we have around like 8 million hectares of uh, 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 eucalyptus and pine there was planted. But the thing is that if we realize that right now in Brazil we have around maybe 30 to 40 million hectares of degraded pasture lands or degraded lands that they, they don't produce any service or products for the society. They are not suitable for agriculture. And one day, those lands, they were forests. So why we can't bring back to those lands good trees that have economic value, that this can generate 
income for the farmers, can really improve the functionality of those landscapes, can produce all the services. So this, why we cannot really make those lands productive again? And we truly believe that we have maybe at least 50 or maybe even 100 native species with a very high value that we don't know enough about them, but they can really improve those lands by generating income to the country, to the farmers, and even helping to address a lot of the national commitments, global commitments in addressing climate change. So this is why this is so trivial for us that we need to make this work. So this is a matter of providing examples to farmers and others that they could get an even higher return than if they'd planted eucalyptus or pine. Exactly. And this is what the Verena project is doing when we started uh, one and a half year ago this project. The, our first uh, 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 activity was to find, is there business cases out there with native species that we can study them, look into the numbers, develop a good and robust way to assess those cases so we can demonstrate that, hey, you can make more money maybe than pine eucalyptus. And this is what we did. We identified 10 cases with different, like uh, some cases with a lot of native species, like we call like multidiverse. We found a case with only one native species. We went there, we found a lot of agroforestry, and we developed a very robust model that could pass th through the, the screen of any investment analyst. Because again, when we talk about investors, we are talking about farmers, the landowners, because if we are asking them to make this investment on the long term, they need to be sure that they can recover their investment, but also we are trying to attract like long-term investment, like pension funds. There's all this money out there, people invest into the future. Why not invest on trees? So if you're able to demonstrate that you can make money out of that, good numbers for those investors, I think we are able to really do that. And for us to have a way to compare them with a very solid, robust model, developed together with them, then they can compare and make decisions on how to invest on planting native trees to really make money out of that and at the same time generate all the other benefits. I want to come back to you, Miguel, and hear an example of one of these businesses. But first, John, I want to ask you about animals. I'm thinking that one of the reasons we like this, it's great if people can make a lot of money, but doesn't biodiversity come in here somehow? Are we not interested that these native species can provide homes for creatures? Absolutely. I mean, the biodiversity benefits are, are enormous here. And, and, and look, Lawrence, there, there's, there's a really interesting history to all of this as well. You know, when, when the Portuguese came to Brazil maybe 400, more than 400 years ago, um, you know, they, they designated some of the most valuable species as, as noble species. Right? And these were the species that were not supposed to be cut down by the Brazilians. They used it for shipbuilding. They were very valuable in the trade back to Europe. And, and this is what brought a lot of these species almost to extinction, right? Because they were so valuable. Including the Brazil tree. Including the tree for which <laughs> Brazil is named, right? And so this, this work, um, you know, that, that many of the people are doing in Brazil now to bring back the native species, not only is it a really interesting economic value, not only is it a really interesting biodiversity value, because obviously if you're, if you're moving beyond having two species, moving you know, beyond the eucalyptus and the pine, but having a much more biodiverse um, set, of, set of tree species that are there and were there to begin with, um, but also a very interesting cultural restoration as well and bringing these trees back, back to the landscape. But, um, but no, absolutely. I mean, from a biodiversity perspective, these were the trees that were there to begin with, right? And what the, kind of animals are we talking about? Who lives in this forest, Mikhail? 
Well, from jaguar to any kind of animals, I mean, all, I mean, we have so many birds, so many reptiles, so many mammals, I mean, name it. I mean, the Atlantic forest in Brazil, not many people they know, but again, when you hear about Brazil, about forest, the first thing that comes to people's mind is that the Amazon. But there's one place in Brazil called the Atlantic Forest, which one day had like 15% of the country was covered by that particular forest along the coast, which has 65% of the people living in that particular region. That place has, even though we only have like 13% of forest remnants all fragmented, it's one of the most biodiverse places on earth. It is called, it's a global hotspot. So we do, are we willing to lose this huge biodiversity, which we depend on for our lives, or do we want to restore this? And this is where trees can really make this work. I saw what I was told, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, is one of the few remnants of that forest, which happens to be on the very steep slopes in the center of Rio, as you take the cable car up to the Christ the Redeemer statue. And it looked like primordial forest to me, these huge trees mm -hmm. and vines and the sunlight coming through. And mm -hmm. I gather that that area has been protected, perhaps because it's in the city and was so steep, but that at one time, much of the Atlantic looked like that. Oh, yes. All the Atlantic forest was just this dense, huge, beautiful forest. And of course, we understand that you need to convert some lands to produce food, right? But of course, for, for if you want to do that, at least you should be able to select the best lands, the most suitable lands to make the best out of agriculture. But other areas, they are also important to produce water. They're also important to protect biodiversity. So how we reconcile those needs and really select the best lands for each one of those uses? This is the big challenge. How do we plan the landscape? And this is the beauty about forest landscape restoration. Look, we look into the landscape and we try to see what's the best fit for each one of those uses. And we try to make the best in terms of those environmental, social, and economic benefits. Before we started recording, you were telling me about one of the companies that has done quite well. Um, I missed the brown bag on Friday, but I understand you had a good turnout and a lot of interest in your work. Can you tell us about this company that is one of the possible models for making money on native species? Yes, this is a, a good example. It is a, the name is a symbiosis investment. So a former banker, Bruno Mariani, uh, several years ago, he, he decided to leave his business to invest on a different business. And he was doing a lot of reading, looking around the world, and he, he found out there was this huge global demand for natives, for, for, for timber. And then he said, look, in order for us to fulfill this demand, the only, you cannot rely on pine and eucalyptus because they have to serve their own industry. You can either plant trees to supply this demand or you need to take from existing forest remnants. Since we are moving towards a low carbon economy and we are trying to eliminate deforestation from anywhere, from any sector, from any supply chain, there's only a way to supply that demand for the people. People, they need that stuff. So we need to plant trees. So he decided to invest on this. He did a lot of research. He hired the best person. I still remember, like this was maybe seven years ago, ago, there was in the magazine, this guy, Bruno Mariani, former banker, he will plant 100,000 hectares. Then I said, what? I, I, I was so amazed. But I, what, what happened that he hired the best guy that knew about native species in Brazil, Renato de Jesus, with 30 plus years of experience. Renato Jesus came to him and said, Bruno, I, I am with you, I will work with you, 
you have you are big visionary you see what's really we need to do here but let's start with a pilot let's start with 1000 hectares let's learn from this once we learn then we go to the scale that you're dreaming about it's just a matter first let's see how this will work we don't know a lot about how those species they behave with each other we know how they behave in nature but we don't know how they behave with each other when we plant them we start planting those trees on rows together with each other with different amount what you find in nature we don't know what's the behavior we are talking about to produce timber right so then they started six years ago so this year he decided to say look I'm happy with my numbers. And, and then again, this project became one of the Verena's business cases because it was one of the, the, the pioneer projects. And then Bruno said, look, I believe on my numbers, but I want other people to believe on my numbers. So he decided to hire like three auditors. One was Poiti, one of the largest companies doing audit. They came to the, his project. He did everything they could to find all the mistakes and so on to really prove to him that the numbers were really great. And again, the, the result of the audit was very positive. And Bruno Mariana and his partners, investors, now they are looking to expand to 30,000 hectares. So Sean and I, we were there like a couple weeks ago, and then it was a amazing, like a, we went to a place like a three and a half years. A tree was like, you know, <laughs> 30 centimeters diameter. It's, I mean, what I'm saying, that it's huge. Amazing. And those guys, I mean, in six years, not only they were able to build this place on the ground, it's not a small area, but they are already doing a lot of investment research. Mm. And, and again, doing this, what they learned from the forest sector, this is like the, the legacy left by the pine and eucalyptus about, about this industry, it, it, it will help a lot the new industry with native species. Well, they say one picture is worth a thousand words. I didn't get to see the picture, but I understand there's a terrific picture of this very large, very young tree and uh, we're going to be posting that on the blog so those listening to the podcast can come and see the picture. Um, Miguel mentioned research, and we're nearly out of time, uh, Sean, but you had mentioned to me before about a pre-competitive space, mm. and uh, maybe mm. you can explain a bit what that means. I think a simple example is you said these piney eucalyptus didn't come from nowhere. Right. There was a lot of investment, I guess government investment, in developing them and promoting them. Mm -hmm. What does that pre-competitive space look like, and what are some of the needs that you see in the native species in Brazil? Yeah, it's very, very true, Lawrence. If you if you look at the numbers, you know, from from the 70s to the 2000s for eucalyptus, it, it moved from roughly 12 cubic meters per hectare to about 40 cubic meters per hectare in terms of the amount produced. So almost more than three times the amount um, on a single hectare being produced for eucalyptus. So it was amazing what happened with, you know, the government. This was R&D. So this was R&D. This was government partnering with the private sector, partnering with the universities, and, and really making sure that, you know, that this was really well understood. And, and you know, the, they didn't just gather for, up for, seeds, any old seeds, and stick them no, in the ground. No, and, and for native species, this hasn't happened, right? And and what's really inspiring is you're seeing people like, like Bruno Mariani and others that are willing to invest their own money right now in trying to figure this out. If you wanted to have a native tree revolution in Brazil right now, you couldn't. 
because there's not enough genetic material to make it happen. So a lot of the work that, that Bruno and others are doing is trying to understand where these seed supplies are, where you can get the good seeds, and then how do you actually produce more and more genetic material, looking at cloning. If you look at Bruno's farm, I mean, he has a laboratory where they're experimenting with different types of cloning over here. He's got his nurseries in the back. Then he's got his test plots where he's trying to look at, you know, how, you know, how to make sure that the cousins are spaced just far enough apart so that you get really strong genetic materials. And so, and then there's the large plantation. And so he's already got all these different segments going on. The trouble is, is that all of that is being, that the brunt of all of that is being borne by Bruno and other entrepreneurs right now. And so I think that there's a lot of work that we have to do. And this is starting, right? So I think the work has already started. There's a lot of universities now that are coming on board with this. I know the Verena project already has six or eight universities that you're partnering with. So this, this movement is underway, but it is going to continue to take investment from, from the government to, to look at how to incentivize the R&D, the markets, different aspects of this and getting the right enabling conditions in place. It's also going to take additional work from universities and professors and students moving this forward. Additional people in the private sector, like, like Symbiosis and the other companies that are part of the Verena Project to move it forward. Research institutions like WRI and others who can help to make these cases speak to a wider audience. Um, and so it is going to take all of this and it's going to take time. And hopefully our goal is to figure out how to accelerate that time. So, you know, we mentioned that it took, you know, 30 years to move from you know, the productivity of eucalyptus from 12 to 40 cubic meters per hectare. Can we accelerate that timeline? How to accelerate this transformation um, and acceler you know, accelerate uh, the growth rate of native species in, in Brazil over these coming years? So there's a tremendous opportunity here, again, to, to restore economically, ecologically, and, and culturally. Yeah, I don't know, Lawrence, if I can just add one thing here. I was going to ask you for closing words. Yeah, no, <laughs> uh, again, what we need for native species, and not only Brazil, everywhere, is an is a industrial policy. I mean, everything that was developed that became a, a big success in, the, in everywhere, if you talk about energy, like solar, renewable energy, or if you talk about the ethanol program in Brazil, or to develop soybeans, everything, you, 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 this requires a policy, industrial policy, with the R&D in place, with incentives in mm -hmm. place, with all the legal framework in place to really get there. The good news is that with native species, we don't need to wait for 40 years as we did for pine and eucalyptus. We can learn from them and gain at least 20 to 30 years, take advantage and move much faster. As Sean pointed out, Bruno Mariani, in one year, we were there one and a half year ago. We went there. He's already cloning some of the native species. He's already developing protocol for specific species. So those things, as Bruno said, they can happen pretty quickly. Just put your hands on the ground. So we need to do more work and really push this because this can be the huge transformation, as Sean also said. We want to be the new restoration generation. Thank you both very much. This is really inspiring. Uh, Miguel Calmon, Director of Forests in WRI Brazil. Sean DeWitt, the Director of the International Restoration Initiative at WRI. I learned so much from you guys and uh, there's a lot in the world that is very discouraging, but the Restoration <laughs> Initiative is a really a ray of uh, sunshine and bright hope for all of us. Thanks so much for joining the show.